On episode 18, we interviewed Dr. Mike Curlew on Indigenous Health, and we're going to just get straight to it. There's not going to be no hype. There's not going to be no kids doing the intro because this episode is too important. It is, there's just so much to learn here. And I'm going to ask you guys a favor like I often do, but truly, if you can share this episode, listen to the whole episode. I know it's 60 minutes, but there's so much to learn and to be aware of about Indigenous health that is just striking. Like, imagine a a community of, a small community, Indigenous community that loses four 12-year-olds to suicide. Imagine knowing that your education needs are 30% less funded. Imagine if you're delivering a baby from a to from afar, you don't you're not able to bring family along to support your care. Things that we know matter that aren't happening to our own people. Okay, I just I just need you guys to please listen and share this this episode. And yes, this 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 episode is less about solutions, is but but more about increasing awareness. But we do need to increase awareness, and it is not all doom and gloom. We talk about some of the initiatives that are happening locally in Sioux Lookout, for example, that are inspiring and creating change within those communities. But once again, this is a must listen. As Canadians, as North Americans, I want you guys to leave this thinking that we need to do better. What's going on up north is wrong. Okay. So without further ado, Dr. Mike Curlew. I am talking to the one and only. Oh, please. Not the one and the only. One and only. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, please. Stop Dr. that. Curlew. Stop Dr. that. Listen, exactly. we were so eager to get this guy on the show for a few reasons. Listen. One, he's an angel. Oh, please. He does amazing work. You did not note. say that you'd say that. No, no, but it happened. Please. And then second thing, that. I got it. I mean, without mincing words, you got to talk to us and inform the people about the atrocities that you see up north. Because I don't think people really have a clear picture of what you see at Sioux Lookout and other places. So mm. I think the best way to to start us off is maybe just talk to us about a day in the life of Mike Curlew. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. And you know what? I'll, I, you know, I want to say it's great to be able to be here. I think you're doing a phenomenal job. I think your whole team is doing a, a great job, really kind of being that voice in the healthcare community, getting a whole bunch of different opinions about different topics. I think that's really good. So I want to congratulate you oh. for doing such a great job. You know Best what I mean? Though, I've known this guy since residency. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's good to see you doing such amazing work. My name is Mike Curlew. I work, you know, up in Sioux Lookout, Ontario. Sioux Lookout is about 450 kilometers or so. So northwest of Thunder Bay, our practice, I, I work with an amazing group of colleagues. Um, and I want to say a shout out to all the good people in Sioux Lookout, all the wonderful yeah, doctors yeah, and yeah, nurses. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I work with some phenomenal people there. And our practice cover an area the size of Germany and France. Wow. So all the way over Hudson's Bay Coast, all the way over to the Manitoba border. So it's about the size of France. And uh, there's a number of indigenous communities in that uh, area. And uh, the doctors in the region fly to uh, various communities and uh, provide care. We also provide care 
there in Sioux Lookout. When people get sick in the communities, they often will fly down to Sioux Lookout to be able to get care. So when you're in Sioux Lookout, you're doing a little bit of everything, right? Like it's mm-hmm. rural medicine, you know what I mean? And, and when you're up in the northern community, you are you are doing, again, a bit of everything, right? You're seeing pediatric patients, adult patients. You could see really sick kids, really sick adults. And you, but, I, you know, I want to start off by saying, you know, I, I feel really blessed to have had the last 13 years to be able to work in such an amazing place and then really meet phenomenal people. You know, I'm going to be moving on from there shortly and stuff, but I but I really feel blessed by having an opportunity to work there, you know, and, and just feel that my life has been sort of super enriched by meeting some amazing people and having the opportunity to learn from elders, you know, who I consider my teachers, right? Wow. And, you know, just learning for some some amazing patients and clients that have, that have taught me phenomenal things over the years, right? You know, I see a lot of, and I don't want to start this off typically, because typically when you get these talks, it's like, man, we got so much of this, and we got so much of this, and we got sepsis and vancom. I'm not going to start off like that because, you know, a lot of people um, have an idea what we're going to talk about today. Um, but I'm going to talk about, you know, I see a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of resilience. I see a lot of people waking up every morning, figuring out how to how to persevere, right? Figuring out how to have hope and how to inspire hope in others mm-hmm. um, in the face of of unbelievable circumstances and unbelievable tragedies still waking up and saying, you know what, I'm still going to press onward and I'm still going to press onward for my community. And I find that that's so amazing. That's so inspirational to be, I feel so inspired to be able to, to bear witness to that, you know? Mm. And, and I think that is, that is awesome. You know what I mean? And I want to, I want to acknowledge that, you know, because I do see a lot of hope and I do see that, that, you know, a lot of change and a lot of community advocacy that's, that's happening. You know what I mean? Mm. About around how can, healthcare outcomes improve, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I, I always say uh, when you work sometimes in a rural environment, one of the things that I've I've learned is that medicine isn't only about content, right? Like in residency, right? You're always trying to master the content, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to understand, you know, how do I interpret my blood gas? How do I go about, you know, in- interpreting this piece of medical information? How do I go about synthesizing all this lab work and coming out with a, a you know, a diagnosis, right? So it's not only about the content, it's also about the context and the right answer answer in the wrong context isn't isn't necessarily the right answer anymore, right? right? And we have to, I think, understand how colonization has introduced a context and having systemic racism and having unconscious and implicit bias within our healthcare system and how colonial systems are structured, how that really impacts health outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I see a lot of, for example, infectious disease complications, right? We still see a lot of rheumatic fever right like you hear about rheumatic fever you think about i remember in med school you know hearing about you know having the cardiologist say man you're never gonna see this again right like this is something this is something that you just don't see in this country anymore right Mm -hmm. and we still have you know we've had deaths in our region of little kids with rheumatic fever right kids kids yeah so we've we've had deaths in our region because of rheumatic fever or complications of rheumatic fever so it's not something that we that we see uncommonly right so when you just like just let that marinate for a little bit right yeah. like rheumatic fever is something that we remember like our grandparents may have talked about right yeah like we definitely don't see this exactly like you don't see now. rheumatic like but but like you know if, if you have like a kid with a swollen knee and you tap their knee and there's no bacteria it's probably rheumatic fever like that's that's my that's my line because this is what I'm saying like when I was uh, talking with some other folk it's like you're literally dealing with third world medicine like things that you weren't supposed to see anymore 
Right. You know, and I guess what I'm, I I want our listeners to understand is, first of all, like how bad it is, but like, why is this happening? Like, why am I, are you seeing a kid with a swollen knee and he, it's not because he injured himself, it's right. because he's got rheumatic fever, rheumatic, a disease from rheumatic freaking fever. Yeah, exactly. You know like, what I mean? Like, this is, this is not, this stuff makes like peds, pediatrics rounds. You know, if you, if you're in some tertiary care center, this stuff makes pediatrics rounds. And like here it's like, oh yeah, they have rheumatic fever. Like now you understand? But, but you look at it, that these things are tied into, and we use this term and we, we throw it around there. It's called social determinants of health. I don't even like that term, social determinants of health. I okay. call it like powerful determinants of health because <laughs> I'm seeing these things that we're about to talk about, things like overcrowding, housing, water being a problem, being like these things are massive determinants of your health. Like, if, like, for example, if we're dealing with a sequelae of a bacteria, right, that may live in the back of your throat, right, or may live on your skin, right, and you live in overcrowded housing what's going to happen stuff is going to spread right yeah. and then you're going to see a lot of sequelae and a lot of complications and you throw in there inadequate access to clean running water you're going to have problems you're going to have lots of problems right and and that's what i'm saying is that like you know you could have all the vancomycin in the world you could get people you could spritz vancomycin from the clouds the clouds could <laughs> rain you could make it rain with make vancomycin it, make it rain antibiotic you could make it rain antibiotic but you see if, antibiotic. if you don't address things like housing, if you don't address things like water, if you don't address things like overcrowding, if you don't address things like colonization and racism, you always, because these these bugs, group A strep and MRSA like published on this, like these, these things occur at a rate in the Sulakout zone that's multiple times what it is in Southern Ontario, in cities and, and part of that I feel, it's just, you know, overcrowding and housing and inadequate access to water, running water and housing. No, I feel you, but once again, I want to get yeah. Because I've never been up there. Right. And I know a handful of docs that go on a regular basis. Right. But I want to get a sense from you. Like, when we, when you say overcrowding, yeah. what does that look like? When you say, like, you might You might have, like, 17 people living in a trailer that's, like, 600 square feet. Wow. Like, that's a lot of people, right? And and you might be in a situation where they're describing where they don't have running water. So, what like, what are they doing? Like, where you- Well, you might have to go and get water from the lake and that type of thing and manually haul it over to your house. That's mm-hmm. not an uncommon story. Mm-hmm. So, imagine how something like that can impact health outcomes. Imagine what kind of cases of eczema you're going to see in kids, mm-hmm. right? Imagine what kind of skin and soft tissue infections you're going to see. Right. Mm. Like you're going to see a lot of them. Right. And you're going to see a lot of invasive type of infections. Right. Invasive MRSA, invasive group A strep. Mm. We are our physicians in the region have published on this before, like looking at things like group A strep and looking at things like MRSA. It just happens in multiple fold what you'd expect in a large city. Right. So, you know, imagine that and, and, and think about it like this too. remember, it's a different system. Right. It's a federal system. Right. So you got like federal nursing stations. Mm-hmm. So there's no like hospital in the northern communities, right? Like, like you're not going to have, because when you have a building with an H on it, an H means something, right? Like, why is that important? Why is that powerful? Because it's not the letter. You can slap a letter on any building, but when you slap an H on a building, it means that there's going to be certain protections. There's going to be certain legislations. There's going to be some accountabilities that you're going to see in that building with an H on it that you're going to see, that you're not going to see anywhere else, right? Yeah. Like, that's why when you show up and you have a scalpel, you don't see the surgeon spit on it and cut you open, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, that's a great point. So, like, they're not being treated at a hospital. Right. It, it's, a, it's a, what do you call it? Yeah, like, it's like a nursing station, right? A nursing and, station. And you know what? It's like, and I meet 
there are awesome nurses there, like nurses that that just do their their best, you know what I mean, in the circumstances that they have, right? Where oftentimes you may not have necessarily the right equipment. You you may not necessarily have all of the essential meds that you need. But this this is part of the BS that, that irks me too. Is yeah. like why like I got I've gotten calls from you yeah. for transferring patient mm. and I'm hearing that there's not you don't have the right antibiotic. Well, you yeah. might be running out of oxygen. Like, but what's you, going? But, what's going down? But ask yourself this question, right? Like, why don't you run out of hosp- Why don't you run out of oxygen at a hospital? Or why don't you run out of oxygen at a health center? Is is that there's legislation in place that gives you certain levels of accountability? Suppose if you were at a place that was devoid of that accountability, right? There's no federal health quality act. Like we have provincial health quality acts that guarantee that, man, if you're going to call yourself a hospital or a clinic, you need to meet certain standards, right? If you don't have that, then what do you think is going to happen, right? Like you're going to be in a situation where you may not have the right antibiotic, right? You may not have a muscle relaxant. Like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know what I mean, and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and you like to hear, man. And it's amazing, like when people talking about, you know, rapid sequence innovation and get your succinylcholine and rocuronium and which <laughs> one is better? Is it sucks or rock? Sucks or rock? <laughs> Sucks a rock. What does Weingart say? What does Ruben Strayer say? So you know what I mean? Just, just give the context. It's, it's like the nuance of some I, of the medication exactly, to try and exactly. optimize people's and health. And I'm like, that's great situation. for you to have that conversation. But I don't got none of that stuff. I got no sucks or no rock. So imagine if you have to intubate somebody. That could be problematic. Number right. two, suppose if you only have one or two vials of midazolam, you need to intubate somebody, which is a medication. Or you don't got no ketamine. Or you don't have any propofol. Or you only have one vial. Because the thing is, the reason. What allows you that that doesn't happen in a hospital? Do you understand? Is the legislation, is the accountability but, that you have in hospitals? But even, okay, even, and this is going to sound ignorant, I don't give a damn whether things are legislated or not. At yeah, some point, exactly. you got to ask yourself, like, what is right? What's going on? Like, exactly. I don't have. So, what Mike was describing was the med- core medication to be able to provide basic care. Yeah. In acute situation. So imagine that you got a loved one that needs to be put on a, like, needs help you breathing. Need to put a tube down their throat yeah, to save to help, their life. To save their life. Thank yeah. you for putting it so eloquently. You might not have that me- enough medication. So maybe they'll feel what's going on. Like they won't, might yes. not be asleep. They're going to feel that pain. They're going to potentially have some PTSD from that experience. Exactly. Like these are our citizens yeah. in a billion dollar or trillion dollar GDP country. That are experiencing this shit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's, you know, and that's a reality that we encounter on the regular. Right. Because like, and if you think about it, it really underscores the effects of colonization. Right. Mm. And, and, And the effects of systemic racism. Who is this happening to? This is happening to indigenous people. Right. In northwestern Ontario. Right. And, you know, it's in class. It's not, you know what, it actually has to, you know, we have to go up to be second class. Right. Because I would consider you of second class. You're still going to have Rocky Road. You're still going to have some basic equipment. Right. right? Like, you know, wherever you are on in mainland Canada, Mm -hmm. you have that access. You know what I mean? And I just I don't know. I guess, Mike, what do we do about it? Yeah. Like, what the you know what I mean? Because. Yeah. And, and and just to get put more context into into this, like how real it is, it's like I see people regularly yeah. from up north yeah. that are dying young, yeah, for sure, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. that's that's not just like some theoretical stuff that we're talking about. It's real. Like I, you know, someone in their forties that was had terminal lung disease. Yeah, I, exactly. I, you know what I mean? Like it's insane, right? And it's it's so tragic. You know what I mean? And yeah. so this is like what we're saying. 
We see it. It's real. It's real. It's very, very real. And, you know, you're seeing really the effect, I believe, you know, colonization and systemic racism, you know, within all sorts of systems, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's what colonization wanted to do. Like colonization wanted to prefer and um, preserve differential care structures based on ethnicity and based on race. Mm. Like it would look and say, because you're indigenous, you, we need to take your land, right? And in addition to that, we're going to make sure that you don't get healthcare like how other people get. Mm. The accountabilities and the protections that other people have, you don't get. Mm. Like when you dial 911, right? What do you get? You can get an ambulance shows up, right? right. We have We have legislation that allows that to happen, right? We don't get an ambulance that shows up. You get a truck that shows up and you put the person in the back of the truck and it brings it to the nurse, that brings the person to the nursing station, right? Because there's no ambulance act. There's no federal ambulance act. Mm. So you're not going to, there's no federal fire marshals act. There's no federal healthcare quality act. So if you, if you don't have those protections in there, then what do you think is going to happen? A whole lot of badness, right? And, and I think as physicians, we need to start recognizing, well, what are the root causes of some of these things, right? Like Amen. I, it, we need to look at that. Like, because I find sometimes as doctors, we get like, we get hung up. Well, all I need to do is figure out the right vancomycin titration for this person's MRSA bacteremia and why it's seeded to their sternal manure. Nubrial joint. I didn't even, you learn about some, these bacteria seeding to some places. You didn't know that was a thing, right? Like, you know, when someone says it, because I didn't know that was a thing. I'm glad all, I told you, right? You understand? Like, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that those things could seed to your sternomanubrial joint. But when you see it happen and you see it happen regularly, you know, you got to start questioning, okay, why is this going on, right? Like, 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 what's the treatment for this MRSA? Is it is it vancomycin exclusive or is it justice, fairness, equity? I think we need to start looking at those bigger picture issues, right? Do you know what's amazing, Mike? Is I think I, I said this on a previous show, but you think about med school and yeah. the training we got, we do not address we prevention not. at all. We don't. We didn't talk about social determinants of health I, at all. Let, let and me, like, the, and before you go on your rant, the thing that is, you know, is a pity about this is because is that docs want, at that age especially, yeah. they want to do better. They right. want to make an impact. So they, are, I promise you this, more docs that are aware of some of these these issues, yeah. especially early on in their career, yeah. they're going to act on that exactly, shit. Exactly, exactly. And I think I think medical schools are, because I remember when I was in medical school, you got virtually nothing about indigenous healthcare. Zero. I, I, I like to tell about the first time I drove, I, I went to Sioux Lookout. You know, I was originally planning to work somewhere else. That fell through and they told me, yo, there's this place called Sioux Lookout. It's up in the bush past Thunder Bay somewhere. You know, you could work there. So I, I, I decided to go there. And I remember I asked the cab driver who picked me up at the airport, can you just like show me around a little bit you know it's a new town small town you know so they show you you know what I mean and they show you where the municipal office is and they show you where the high schools are and I remember they had two hospitals right like so I'm like thinking man Sue Lookout's doing well you got two <laughs> hospitals <laughs> right like at that time right at that time there were two hospitals there was a like there was a 7th Avenue site and there was a 5th Avenue site right so two campuses I'm like just like the Ottawa Hospital right you got yeah, yeah. Civic and Riverside <laughs> and Jettering you know what I mean you're doing good Sue yeah, Lookout yeah, right yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? But it's, it, it's, I remember the cab driver. I was saying, man, I, I asked them, man, how come there's two, this town has 5,000 people? Like, why are there two hospitals, right? In my naive brain, 
right? I'm trying to comprehend what I'm seeing, right? Yeah. I always say in life that, you know, profound moments don't just happen when you, when you, when you get some answers. It's when you start to ask the right questions. Amen. Do you understand? Oh, Hallelujah. Praise <laughs> <laughs> Sweet six pound baby Jesus. Yeah, no. Sweet six pound baby Jesus. I know. So let me, so you start asking those right questions. So I remember the, the cab driver had looked at me and said, um, yeah, the reason why there's two hospitals here is that there was a town hospital and I saw it and said, okay, that's cool. So why do you have this other hospital here? And he's like, well, that was the hospital for indigenous patients. So I said, Ex excuse me? Like, you know, did I hear right? He's like, yeah, yeah, that hospital was built back in the 50s and it was the, the Sioux Lookout. Back then it was called the Sioux Lookout Indian Hospital, right? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking like, okay, hold the phone one second. <laughs> how come I didn't know about this? And, and how come I didn't learn about this in med school that we had? Because whenever you think about segregation, what does our mind always go to? Yeah. Those darned Americans, right? right? We think about like segregation from the civil rights context experience in the United States, right? But we have a history of that in Canada. Oh, big time. We have, and, and you know, as I was learning, and I, you learn about wonderful community leaders, like one of my personal heroes, heroes Josiah Fiddler, who, who held hunger strikes in the 80s to protest the care indigenous patients were receiving. Mm. And you realize that. That happened in the 80s. That's not that long ago. That's yeah. not that long ago. So no. do you, do we have an understanding? Like our med students taught that. Like are you taught that if you go and you go, there, were, there was not just in Sioux Lookout, there was in Moose Fact, there was all these hospitals just for indigenous patients. So we had, even from back then, a, a system that was designed to be inferior. Wow. And it triaged people based on race to inferior care. And this is not a system that ended 100 years ago. This is a system that persisted well into until very recently. Mm. Now, it's interesting. If you go to Sioux Lookout now, we have a beautiful new hospital, right? They tore down um, the old Fifth Avenue site, right? The Seventh Avenue site, the, the old quote-unquote indigenous hospital is still standing, but it's not used as a hospital anymore, right? We have a beautiful new hospital, right? The, the Minoyawan Health Center, which is a beautiful, beautiful building, right? But, but you see, like, look at that legacy. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Like, look at that legacy that you had kind of differential care. Oh, and the thing is, it, it lingers. And no one, exactly. And it's like, it's, you know, you move on, but that, those attitudes, mindsets, that's embedded. That's embedded. And that's the thing. It's what, what is in the DNA of the system. That's what we need to understand. What is in the DNA of the system? Mm. Remember, the healthcare system, as we structure, as it was structured, as it was conceived, was conceived to treat indigenous people inferiorly. Mm. It was structured, but separate, but unequal care, uh, unequal care based on colonial principles, right? Mm. Which were which were riddled with kind of these notions of of racial in inequity, right? Like, and know, it's deep, and and you know, you got to get into somebody's DNA, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? When you get into that DNA, when you kind of get into colonization's DNA and realize that we have to make sure, are we taking that look inside the mirror as physicians, as practitioners, as nurses, as allied health and saying, you know, there could be a little bit of colonial tea in all of us, right? Yeah. We've all been steeped in a little bit of colonial tea, whether we like it or not. I mean, you get you, you get exposed. You, you, the attitudes of your preceptors, the attitudes exactly. of, of all those around you. like Exactly. You know, sometimes you... By not being as aware of it, we don't really know about the, we're not cognizant of our, of our own biases and behaviors. Exactly. You know, like the ironic thing too is we're doing this on, it's Black History Month. There you and, go. And, yeah, and, exactly. and as I'm, as we're talking, I'm like, there should be, a, I don't know, maybe there is, and forgive me if I'm ignorant, but Indigenous History Month, like yeah. about, like, especially in our country. Right, right. You know, and just increasing the awareness of some of these atrocities and some right. of these embedded 
behaviors, attitudes. Right. Like I'm still I'm still a bit baffled that this was 1980 and this was yeah. still present. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. But I, I and you, and you you were mentioning too we weren't getting any inf- information on this in med school. I don't even know what about undergrad sociology, all exactly. this stuff within like Canadian history. Like, Canadian history is totally uh, devoid, right? You know what I mean? Like it, it oh so bad, right? And when you think about it as well, right? Like when we kind of look at and we think of segregation, we automatically think of the United States, right? Yeah. We think about the United States and the experience that African Americans had, right? And 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 other groups like segregation. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't realize that there were systems up here that Mm -hmm. did the same thing that persisted way after the U.S. stopped. It's 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 organized segregation. Oh, man. Just think about it. Like like you couldn't have segregated hospitals in the States in the 80s. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. So like like we we need to like we need to you know, I think we need to understand that. I think we need to kind of each take a look at ourselves in the mirror and say, like, where are our unconscious biases right because mm-hmm. we've all been steeped in a little bit of colonial tea whether we like it or not right mm-hmm. and and how we how we improve ourselves is to realize what those biases are right mm-hmm. and then effectively address them right it's not to pretend that they don't exist do you understand but it's like we we don't that's a i mean kind of the purpose of this show is like to increase awareness to increase that conversation right because like those biases they can be so embedded in it and innate that you you absolutely do not realize it going on, right? And until you have that conversation, until you it's in front of you, yeah, you know, nothing will change. Exactly, exactly. Man, like it's, it's just it's like I said, it's just really hard when you see preventable diseases with young people of your own nation and just get destroyed as a result. Bring it back to just some like personal stories yeah. are, th- are there are there any th- times where you in the last few years uh where you, you you thought to yourself like you know enough is enough like when you think back at some of the patients that you had or like to give up you mean like enough's enough or, or like, like just like, like we we gotta we gotta do better or yeah you know what i i think it started like you know when you start practicing you're like okay i gotta i gotta you know i have all this medical knowledge to attain and and i and i gotta go to all these cmes i call it the nerdy stuff of medicine you know yeah. what i mean i gotta be continuing in i gotta education. continue in medical education i gotta be able to interpret blood gases that much better and you understand so you spend yeah. but then you really realize that man i'm seeing a lot of endocarditis yeah and you're like saying to yourself the big question is the why yeah right like why like are we are we spending enough time and then we start looking and saying well there's overcrowding because there's inadequate housing there's 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 no running water like there's some communities that have been boil water advised for 20 years would that be acceptable in any other context Mm. And you ask yourself that question, like, like, would it be okay if, if there was a neighborhood in Ottawa where they, let's say they built new homes and they said, you know what, for the next year, y'all going to be on boil water. Don't worry. We'll give you a little credit. You understand? Like, but you'll, but you'll have to be on boil water. Do you think people could, would do that for a year? Do you think they could do that for like, imagine if you never, if you never had like for 25 years water that you could drink out of the tap. You. You know that would never fly. That would never fly. What's that doing to your soul, by the way? Pardon me? What's that doing to your soul? You know what? You know what? Honestly, (laughs) I have met and I've had the privilege of meeting some amazing, amazing patients and clients. And I'm telling you, that resolve to overcome is contagious. Wow. Do you understand me? 
Like it's a resolve to overcome, right? Mm. And sometimes I've been with a position where I was like, listen, man, that is it. Like th this is just too much. This is just too much. Do you yeah. understand? But that when you see and you see that hope and you see that that just resolve to overcome, that resolve to kind of not give up, that that's inspiring. And mm -hmm. not to lose hope, that is inspiring. My patients teach me that. They have hope. Wow. They And that hope is contagious. Because wow. you can be in a situation like we have very little access to mental health resources, right? Wow. Very, very little access to mental health resources, right? The community that I provided care at, you know, Wapakee, we lost four 12-year-olds to suicide oh in God. nine months. And oh the place God. only has a population of like 500 people. So just imagine, that's like a, that's like half on a, on a, imagine if like in in nine months, one school year, in one high school, 10 kids committed suicide. And like that, there, that's what and we're talking about. We're talking 12-year-olds. 12-year-olds. Like usually. 12. If you have imagine, one 12-year-old in the audit, go. it goes on the news like exactly, crazy. Exactly, exactly. And it made, it made, the, because it's like, and you know what? The community, and this was well documented and well publicized in the news, the community had, had put forward community-based solutions six months before the first suicide oh because they said, God. listen, man, there might be a suicide pact. We want to be able to, to get counselors and get the support systems that we need. And they did it six months before and they gave their proposal to the federal government and said, yo, we need some help and, and we're going to come up with a community-based solution right mm -hmm. six months From before you know what they were told what's that it's an awkward time in the funding cycle and then six months later guess what happens oh you get one suicide God. and then a weekly another one and then and then a few months later another one and then a few months after that another one four young girls Oh my God. So think about that. The community six months before they said, listen, man, something's going down. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. We need to work on a community. They did their end. Don't tell me if there was a school, if there was a high school in, in Ottawa and they said, yo, man, there's a suicide. There's something going on. There, there's doing that. We're concerned. They would get more resources. But imagine if you've articulated that as a community and you said, listen, we have a concern. Do you understand? And we're going to put forward our proposal to get additional resources to develop community-based solutions so that we can deal with this at the community level. Imagine if you told us a bad time in the funding cycle. And, and you know what? Then, exactly. You can link this. There's articles written about this. And this is just from 2017, man. This is 2017. Listen, the federal government, when you, think about this for one second, Quad. Think about this for one second. This is, this is a struggle for basic rights, my man. Basic rights. Think about it. Look at in pregnancy. You know what the number one concern of women in pregnancy was? That they don't deliver their baby by themselves. Oh my God. Because think about it. Like you're in a northern community. You have to come to Sioux Lookout or Winnipeg or Thunder Bay to deliver your child, right? The government wouldn't cover a partner, a support person to go down with you. So you would be expected to deliver that child by yourself. Wait, now, wait, let wait, me wait. ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Could you go right now in the hospital on the maternity? I saw the labor and delivery floor. Could you go on the labor and delivery floor? Tell the partner, um, we're about to have a baby up in here. So you need to leave the room while we could. They would be like, excuse me. Can you think of one other procedure other than a C-section that we allow the partner in the OR? We allow a non-medical medical trained person in the OR while a surgical procedure is going on. Can you think of another thing to do other than a C-section? Why? Because even in the, uh, we recognize that you get tons of positive outcome by having partners support people sharing that experience. And think about that, that rule. And you can link this in the show notes. This has all been well documented. Just got changed in 2017. Hmm. Ask yourself that question.
Wow. Like that's basic, right? Like that's people sometimes ask, Meg, what is the what is the healthcare system that's the cherry on top? And it's like sometimes, man, my patients don't have the cherry on top. They don't even have the table that the cake is sitting on. Do you understand mm. what I'm saying? Can't get in the room. Do you understand? And I'm just saying, look at that. Now you know what? Communities fought for for that and now they've changed the policy right so I, I i credit the government for changing that policy i think that's i think that's good but man like 2017 2018 we're talking about having a birth support person in the room with you we mastered that 50 years ago and like what, what's the eight what, what would you say was the average age of the, some of these young moms well it can it can vary right? imagine you being 18 years old exactly exactly like because once you're an adult they'll cover it for a kid right so if you were like 17 and pregnant but imagine if you're 18 no you 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 don't get an escort. You're 18 years old. And where are you delivering? You know what You know what would be really sad? You know what would be really, really sad? You, you, let's say if that baby, you're delivering that baby and that baby de- develops respiratory distress and you now have to go to Winnipeg Health Sciences Center with that baby and that mom just had that baby by herself, now going off to the ICU by herself with no support person. Oh my God. So no, I'm, that's that's the real, that's is for she real communicating spoke. with? Exactly. Like, who's at support? Exactly. Who, who's gonna help settle her fears? Exactly. Um, completely foreign environment. Exactly, exactly. Those anxieties often translate right. to, you know, poor outcomes. Oh poor, my God. There you go, there you go, right? So that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, we need to get the humanity in this. Do you understand me? Like that's that's what we need to remember in medicine is that we're dealing with human beings, right? And and this is what colonization and inequity does, right? It takes out the human being out of the equation. Mm. Do you understand? They're not being seen as They're not equal. being seen as a human being. Because yeah. if you look at it, when colonization wants to steal people's land and the land belonged to somebody else, what it just did is devalued them as people. Do you understand? It said, well, you're not just not a person or you're just not as good as me. So I can just take what you have and there you go. You better just like it, right? You're not an equal. You're not an equal. That's what it's telling you. Colonization every day is telling you, you are not equal. I can take what belongs to you and you do not deserve, based on your race and based on your ethnicity, you do not deserve the same things that I have. And And your life does not matter. This might sound a bit extreme. Yeah. Imagine, like, would we accept that kind of behavior with our pets? Oh, very good. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like it's, I don't know, man. It I know. Just, it's and debilitating. It's de- dejecting. Yeah. Hearing this shit. I, and uh, I, I, I mean. <laughs> but you know what? Like, like this is what I'm saying. That's where I, I don't want to leave you feeling dejected and rejected. Right. Like, I don't want to leave you feeling that way. I want to leave you seeing that, you know what? In spite of that, I see hope. In spite of that, I see communities resilience. I see communities banding together to, to come up with programs, to come up with community-based solutions to surround youth with the help that they need, elders with the help that they need. So that's coming. So I don't want to leave you with this doom and gloom because, you know, to, to, I don't want to leave you with that, right? There I do want to make sure you understand the real. That if yeah. you think, and this was just, you know what? You can link this to the show notes. All this has been published. You can, it was on CBC, all those types of stations that covered all of this. So if people don't believe me or don't believe, that's fine. They can read about it there. And this is all recent, man. This is from. Real news. You, you know what I mean? And stuff. This is from, this is from 2017, 2018. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. You, no, you, I, I mean, I got so many things to say. Like one thing I, I, I do want to say is it is nice to hear the pushback, that resilience. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if there's one thing that I've learned from wh- what you see from people that come out on top eventually is that at some point you just say, 
we're going to put it in our own hands. Yeah. We're going to, you there know, you we're go. not going to wait for our assistance or if no one's coming to help out, we're going to do what, what we can do with, within our own community to make right. some shit happen. Exactly. You know and that's I mean? a power of self-determination. Yeah. Right? And like that. that is something, you know, unfortunately they're in a position that that's what's necessary, but it's, it's good to hear yeah. that there's some positive coming out of that. Exactly. And I, and I think as clinicians, we need to be real. We need to take a good, hard look. Just like the nation has to take a good, hard look. Everybody has to take a good, hard look in the mirror and say, where is my implicit bias? Not if I have implicit bias or if I have unconscious bias, where, but where is it? Where is it? Especially as clinicians, right? Because like you're making decisions every single day, right? Mm-hmm. And that can, that can, you know, change the trajectory of a patient that you see in a very profound way, right? Mm. So we need to understand where our implicit biases are, where our unconscious biases are. We need to understand what colonial frameworks are, that colonization is embedded in our healthcare system, our our criminal justice system, the child welfare system, right? Mm. And these systems were structured to affect certain people certain ways. Yeah, it, and I think there needs to be a knowledge and an acceptance and an understanding that those systems are at work, and that the knowledge and acknowledgement and an understanding that those systems are at work, and also to reckon, recognize within ourselves, well, how can I deal with the implicit bias that I have? Hmm. How can I be an effective ally? You know what I mean? And, and the other thing too you mentioned before is let's get back to the human side of medicine, there man. There you go. Like I, I honestly. Y'all maybe heard me preach this before. Like you spend so much time, as you you said, what does that black blood gas mean? What is that? How do I diagnose X Y Z? Exactly. But you always gotta remember that somebody's loved one. That is another. Exactly. That could be you in that spot. Exactly. You know, and just I don't know. It, we, I do think as I'm getting older, this is the stuff you realize how much this matters. Right. That how much that you know having that humanism in in, in medicine really at at times is actually everything. Exactly, exactly. It's being able to connect with people or other human beings. And and like putting yourself in the position that if that was your grandparent, like one of the things that we don't have is we don't have long-term care beds in the community. So even the big ones, the large ones, there's no long-term care beds. Mm -hmm. So suppose if you're an elder and you're 85 years old and I'm sending you 600 kilometers away, and there's no road that connects those two spots. You have to fly and flights are expensive. So imagine, imagine, if that was, imagine if that was your grandma or your grandpa. And we're in Ottawa right now. And imagine if I said, yo, man, we're going to, I'm sorry, but they're going to go into London, Ontario, like, which is about 500 and some odd change kilometers but away. But you can't drive there. Right. But you can't drive. But you know what? Like no one would say that that's acceptable. If you were to do that here right now, people would look at you and say that is unacceptable. Oh, There's no way, dude. We, we people will complain if it's across the city. Very if it's good. A, if it's not Very close good. to the. But look at the standard in our region, where the standard is you go away, you go far away. Yeah. You go far away, and you have that full knowledge in your mind that the next time you may see your your home is when you're is when you pass away. Wow. No, seriously, just just put yourself in that framework for a moment, right? Because this is all about being real, right? Mm-hmm. Like medicine, number one has to be real. Yeah. Right. Take the blood gases out of it. Take all the you know, what I mean, it has to be real. We are human beings connecting with other human beings. Right. Yeah. So how would that make you feel? Put your grandmother and your grandfather in that situation, just like I've done. And I'm just saying, snap, that fucked up. Yeah. 
And just to think that we're not talking about an isolated incident where that only happens like one out of every 100 people. That's the step. That's the norm. Yeah. And imagine it, man, if you if you dialysis that, what does that mean? Like oh if you can't, do, like you are far, you're going to be in Thunder Bay. You're going to be in Sioux Lookout. You're going to be hundreds of kilometers away from your home. Suppose if you need complex continuing care, you're going to be hundreds of kilometers away from your home. Imagine how that affects your mental health. Imagine how that affects, man, I'm lonely. I haven't seen my family. Imagine if you're 85 years old and you spent your whole life in a community and you're all of a sudden six, 700 kilometers away from home, away from your family. How are you going to feel? Just take the, take everything out of it. Put your own grandparents in that position right now because that is going on right now. How would you feel? And you can't tell me that's not going to affect how they, the outcome of the good. patient. Very good. Very good. You know, when you got, you've lost that hope, you've lost that drive, you've lost that community. Exactly. Oh, get, oh, Mrs. Nelson, can you get out of bed to help right, uh, right. to get your strength up? Hell no. No, exactly. <laughs> and I'm not saying like people can make a choice. Maybe, maybe sometimes you might want to go there, but like that's the rule. Do you understand where everybody, really, man? I wonder how many people right now in this hospital, if I were to do a survey, the amount of people in long-term care or waiting for long-term care, if a bed popped up in Sudbury would say, I'll take that bed. They know no one in Sudbury. Hmm. Or a bed popped up in London would say, yo, I'll take that bed in London. Or Windsor, yo, I'll take that. No one. Because they're going to say, well, it's basic. The basic premise of this is that you want your elders close to familiar spaces, close to their family. That's something that transcends culture. But that's what colonization does, right? And you see, it can operate covertly. It can overoperate overtly, but it can get dangerous too when it operates covertly. Because you can have these systems. I think that's one is most dangerous. (laughs) The covert covert shit. Exactly, yeah. When it goes under the radar. When it goes under the radar. And you can have these systems operating that are oppressing people like that, and we don't know. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, indifference is a motherfucker. Do you yeah, understand? Like, yeah. you see, if you if you can have people suffering and you have everybody else indifferent to that suffering, that's a motherfucker. That, like, it doesn't matter how many tweets you send out. It doesn't matter. And that's what colonization wants to do. Colonization is a motherfucker. That's what it wants to do. Mm. And how do you fight that? How do you, you have to acknowledge what's going on, right? But you also have to say, well, how can I, how can I deal with my own implicit biases? How can I address that by growing up in this country, you are going to hear certain things about indigenous people. They're not going to be in textbooks. They're not going to be, you're going to hear through popular culture and it can shape the way you think subconsciously. And then if it shapes the way you think subconsciously, then when you become a clinician, it can affect your decision-making process. Absolutely. And you don't even know it. Like I said, which is the most dangerous Very thing. good. You know what I mean? Systemic racism, its child is unconscious bias, right? It wants yeah. to give birth to that because it means that you can get lots of indifference and lots of indifference means you become immune to others' pain. Hmm. So it doesn't matter how many times it's tweeted out or how many news articles, you switch the channel. You swipe right. Do you understand? Hmm. And we have to make sure that we put these issues front and center. It- we do not treat people fairly we need equity justice and fairness they're dealing with tb in the arctic they're not are they recognizing the housing issues in the arctic let me tell you something if you don't correct if you don't correct housing you're gonna have tb and tb is gonna outsmart you because tb it lives on inequity oh man and it can outsmart any infectious disease expert because it mutates and it doesn't and people have been trying to figure this out for years and then if, if you think you figure that out then you get mrsa and then if you think you can't figure that out you get group a strep and then you start getting other things mm. so let me tell you man a little bit of inequity can man that can overcome a whole lot of ingenuity wow 
little bit of inequity can overcome a whole lot of ingenuity. A whole lot of you can it can over it can overcome PhDs, MD. You understand MDs? Just a little bit of a double doctor, double doctoring, double doctoring. No, and it's true. You know, because one of the platforms, the reason I do this is to increase awareness Mm -hmm. and what what have you. But that indifference piece, that that element of being, you know, swiping the other way or looking, putting your head the other direction when when these these issues might come to the forefront. That's a that's a huge obstacle. Right. That indifference, right? Exactly, and that's and, what colonization, I think, ultimately wants. It wants. You mean it, it, it's an effective oppressor, but it's also an extremely effective indoctrinator. Mm-hmm. So we can indoctrinate everybody else to be indifferent. So it's like you can go and you can go see a country overseas, and you'll have more sympathy and more desire to do something than for something happening in your own backyard. Remember everything that I'm street. talking about. The people's health card looked the same as you or I. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially your neighbor. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, how are we, are, are we understanding colonization? Are we understanding, you know, anti-indigenous racism, how that impacts health outcomes? Are we understanding that we can all be steeped in a little bit of colonial tea, whether we like it or not? That, that just by being matriculating through this country, you can gain certain opinions and certain viewpoints of how you view other people. And that, do we understand that that can shape the decisions that we make? Or are we going to say as doctors, no, no, we're all good. We're nice people. And, and I don't mean any wrong. Do you understand? Because let me tell you, man, we've all been steeped in some of that tea and we all need to, we, we need to acknowledge that it's there. Can I ask you, do you know, do you, what do you think is actually happening, happening at like government level or at a, a societal level? Like, do, are we consciously ignoring a lot of this stuff or is it are we at a high level are we are they are people just being indifferent like that's what i'm concerned about because like when i look at information now in the 21st century like we can get information now faster than we've ever been able to get information before right you can tweet something can be going down in toronto and as it's happening someone's tweeting about it that you can find out about it Mm -hmm. right so we can get information now way faster than you could get at any other time previously right so we know when stuff happens. And these issues of housing and, f- and, and, and lack of access to healthy food and, and water insecurity issues and, and, and adequate funding for essential social services, like these are all well-established issues. So I would argue, like, is indifference rising? Mm-hmm. You know, 100 years ago when, when, when Dr. Bryce was talking about, you know, shutting down residential schools because in some of the schools he reviewed, this is 100 years ago now. You can read about this in the history textbook. Actually, you can't because they don't talk about this, right? <laughs> so you won't read about it in your history textbook and you probably won't be given a lecture about this in med school, right? But when he brought up, when he was told to review the health status of residential schools 100, over 100 years ago, he said, you need to shut these places down because they're, 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 they're just breeding grounds for tuberculosis. And he was told, yo, man, you're fired, right? Wow. And that was 100 years ago. So that was just like, there was no Twitter back there. There was no Instagram back there. There was no TikTok. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Back then, you couldn't get information as fast. So how do, you, how do you justify the fact that now we have all this information? Now we have information that flows faster than it's ever flowed before in human history. But it's like, we don't care. It's so is indifference rising, right? We change the channel, right? Yeah. I think, you know, I think we need to we need to do some serious soul searching and, you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror. Right. Mm-hmm. Every single person has to do that. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And I think we, it's like that exercise of understanding, like what is going on. Like Canada did have like an apartheid. I don't even say apartheid like it was apartheid, right? <laughs> you know, system that Still. persisted well into the 80s, right? Mm. Of healthcare, and there were hospitals for certain people and other hospitals for everybody else. Mm. And I wonder how that would affect people's interface with the healthcare system, right? Like, imagine when you see somebody here as an intensivist, right? If they went to one of those indigenous hospitals 40 years ago when they were still open, I wonder how that's going to affect your, how's that going to, when you interface with the healthcare system now? Mm. Wow, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Truth bombs all over this. That's bad what I'm boy. saying. Like, like that's what I'm saying. Like, we just we just need to keep it real, right? And like, you know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I've seen so much hope. Like, I have met some amazing people. Like, literally, bring me to tears sometimes. Do you know what I mean with the stuff they describe? But then it brings you to tears of joy oh, when you see that perseverance. Yeah. Like, it literally, you see that perseverance, that willingness just to keep on fighting. Do you understand? And coming up with ideas and supporting their communities in just powerful ways. That is powerful. Do you understand what I'm saying? No doubt. That is that is just that is just powerful, right? Like Wow. There was a, maybe one issue that you, we touched on, but I wanted to just really hammer home. You know, the mental illness is a huge part of... Yeah like of our society in general and it's increasing awareness. And, right. But it's clear that in the indigenous population, it's, it's a problem. Right. And a, I feel like it's a growing problem. Right. Do you see, do you see anything improving despite some of these community efforts? Or- I, you know what? I, I do because, you know, now there's a big movement in the region of health transformation and that's been exciting what does to that be involved mean? in. Health awesome. transformation, moving from a colonial system to an indigenous patient-centered, community-centered system. Yeah. So you're starting to, uh, to see that process happen, right? Mm. Of refocusing the health care on the individual and the community, right? You know what I mean? And, and, and focused on community values. And I think it's amazing to see that and to see the ideas generated, right? When you look at communities now have, you know, Choose Life, and there has been some articles about this, and, and it basically allows communities to be able to, to get funding to be able to implement and develop community-based solutions, mm. right? Culturally safe, community-based solutions for looking at things like suicide in the community. And it's great to see the results. It's great to see the change in people. Do you understand? Yeah. And because communities know be. what are going to work for communities, right? Yeah. So it's great to see that those those changes. So that's what I'm saying. Like like the system needs to be fundamentally transformed. Like incremental change ain't working. It needs to be fundamentally transformed because if we just take the current system and just tweak it, you're tweaking DNA that's not good. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get you're not going to get something good. You need to completely transform. You need to change the value system of the system. It's one thing I'm more and more, this theme has come up on the show. It's like change has got to come from the root. Mm-hmm. Like it's got to come from the people that are living right. it. It's got to people, right. that community. Right. And I think we got to really think about that. If we're going to be thinking about healthcare solutions right. in general. Exactly. It's got to come from the, the horse. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It has to come from the, the people. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to have that change coming from people and people need to be empowered. Mm. To be able to, to to get that change, right? They need to be supported and able to get that change. And it's amazing to see that when you have programs like Choose Life, where communities are basically funded to initiate community-based solutions. These are homegrown solutions that are that are amazing, mm-hmm. that are phenomenal. 
that are able to take down suicide rates better than any psychiatrist or Western. You understand? Yeah. It's truly phenomenal to see. And, and like, we need to understand this as well, too. It's just the impact of colonization, how it has had on that process of happening of self-determination, right? Because yeah. you were constantly told you ain't good enough. You don't have no value. Your life is no value. Imagine if you're a, a teenager right now and you go to, you, you don't have access to adequate education, right? Your school is funded 30% less than a student in your same grade down south. Mm. You turn on the tap and there's no clean water that comes out. When you dial 911, there's no ambulance that shows up. Or if there's a fire, there's no fire department that shows up. Do you understand? Like a map, how do you think that affects your mental health, right? What do we learn now from a CB? From what do we learn now is that the amount of indigenous people in federal penitentiaries is the only group that has gone up. So, so colonization means a consistently at your face is your life has no value. Imagine how that's going to affect your mental health. You don't have a school in your own community. You have to go out hundreds of kilometers to school at 13 years old. She read a book by Tanya Talaga called, put this in the show notes, called Seven Fallen Feathers. It's a powerful book on how, you know, the education system, man, like we didn't, we didn't even, we, we, we don't have enough time to talk about that. But, you know, keep in mind that if you have two students, same grade, the provincial system is going to fund their students 30% more than the federal system. That's a well-established difference, 20 to 30% more. So if that, so just imagine that for one second. And what are you doing? You're having differential fundings based on what? Race. Race. 2020. There you go. 2020. And that's it's happening 20, now. It's 2020. That now. is happening now. And there still is a gap. And I always say, how come in the year 2020, we all like to act like we're so woke. We are so woke. We have to clear our throat because we choke on the wokeness. <laughs> but yet we live in a system that right now is telling to indigenous people. that you see your kid? We give them 20 to 30% less than we give that kid, even though they're same grade. Ain't right. Do you understand? Ain't right. Ain't right. So I think, you know, we need to recognize these and, you know, do some learning and, you know, start asking the right questions. I, I, I said that earlier, you know, it's not powerful moments and not only when we get some great answers, when we start asking the right questions, right? Like yeah. when I was in that car, I was saying, why is there, why is there two hospitals in this place? <laughs> I did not know. Excuse me? I had no idea. Yeah. We didn't learn about this stuff in med school. Wow. I mean, we got like one lecture. Do you understand? This is why I... I how much I'm did you get on medical I, school about? If, in, I, like in, I don't want to say with absolute certainty because it's approaching 20 years ago, but yeah. I do not recall any. Very good. And I did go to class. There you go. Well, <laughs> no, you see, I my didn't. attendance wasn't all that, you know, my, my attendance, you know, wasn't, was, wasn't all that spectacular, you know, but I don't want them to start, you know, questioning decisions yeah, yeah. off on things. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, over. but I'm telling you, like, yeah, like, yeah. do we really, do we really understand? Do we really get? get that history we don't get it right yeah and that, maybe that's i mean there's many things to work on but one of the things you know if i'm gonna ask myself what can we do to help is really some in my mind support those community-led initiatives where the people are saying this is what we need this is how best we could be served right and Provide support for that. Right, exactly. And sometimes your support can be, you know, as a doctor, you got a lot of privilege. Like, we have a lot of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. And we do. And it's not to come in and say, well, you should do this and you did. We know that don't work. But what that support could be is to maybe provide you your voice into like, listen, yo, the community has a solution here. Why can't social we prescribing? This? There you go. Why can't we, Kate why Mulligan, can't we, pres out. 
why can't we look at this? Why can't we do that? They have an idea, right? It's adding your voice and potentially the privilege that you have with that voice. Do you understand? Right. To be able to to be able to move a community's agenda forward. Yeah. And I think I think that's something we need to recognize. We need to understand the history because I, I don't think that that's taught enough in medical schools. I don't. I'm not sure how nursing schools. I'm not sure with allied health, but I I, I have concerns about that. I ha I do have I do have concerns about that. Yeah. And we need to recognize our unconscious biases and our own implicit biases. Well, Mike, I always try and end on a positive. There you, you know go. I mean? And so my question to you is, yeah. in your 13 years yeah. in Sioux Lookout, can you recall a time where you've really left an impression on a patient or you've had a moment where you've you told yourself this is where i'm supposed to be in this moment helping this patient has well, any stories come to mind well you know what i i do have one and it was when around the time when the community had just lost four 12 year old girls right a few years back that was an unbelievable tragedy right so imagine you're in a small community of a few hundred people and four you know beautiful young bright girls commit suicide in the span of nine or ten months right and i remember i spoke to an elder and that elder told me something I would never forget. They said, you know what? We're going to be, we're down now, but we're going to be up again. Wow. And I'm just like, that level of hope, as I was saying before, is contagious. Like that, that is like, when you hear stuff like that, when it's like, there have been four kids that have just passed away because of suicide. And that's, everybody would describe that as an unbelievable tragedy, right? Imagine if Barhaven had lost four kids in that period of time, right? Do you understand? I mean, this is a community of 400 people, right? So, 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 but, but to hear the elders say that, we're down now, we're gonna be up again. You know what, one of the things people don't realize about that community is that there was a suicide crisis before and they came up with a wonderful system, the Survivors of Suicide Program and, and community-based crisis teams that would, that would go in and all that got birthed from that previous tragedy, right? Mm -hmm. So it was, like, it was like that elder just reminded that degree of hope and never lose hope, right? Hmm. Never, ever, ever lose hope. And that's something that I, I, I learned from that patient day. And that, that has been an extremely profound moment, you know, when it, when it happened a few years back. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, it will stay with me for the rest of my life on just that is an example of humanity right there. Wow. That's a, that example of, of to per persevere. Because everybody, like, you're feeling like I am gone. Like, I felt like giving up. Honestly, yeah. if, I'm, if I just be real to everybody, I'm like, you know, like, like you feel like giving up but when when you hear somebody say you know what we've been we've down but we're gonna be up again we will overcome we will overcome that resolve to overcome that is powerful wow. that is powerful you know when you meet somebody you just see that resolve to overcome you were like shit that is some like powerful stuff mm -hmm. that's some like that's some shit that you like take home that night and you mull over in your brain and just say what the hell did i just hear mm -hmm. and it just sort of it, it, it's powerful so that yeah man that that, that sticks with oh. you and you know what i remember that because that that is just like a fine example of humanity right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And th those are the memories I, I, I will take. You know what I mean? And I think that's a good place to end because I feel, honestly, that is such a powerful message in general. Mm -hmm. You know, that for us to put things in perspective and realize we can overcome. Exactly. We can do better. Exactly. There is hope. There is hope. Yeah. Right? And uh, certainly I feel like after this conversation, yeah. I realized 
there is some hope. Because you think about it, what does colonization want you to do? It wants you to give up on hope. Yeah. Not to have hope. Not, not Don't believe that anything is going to change. Believe it's going to go on like this forever. Mm-hmm. But what, what that elder taught me is like, you know what? You can be in the face of tragedy. And it can try to break your spirit, but and it can try to do all those things, but it can't take your hope. That's something you have control over. Wow. Do you understand? And she made that choice that day that even though in a situation that is adverse and is hard and is painful, I am choosing, I am making the choice to hope because hoping is a choice, not a feeling. It's a choice you make. And she's making that choice to say, you know what? We're, we were down, but we're going to be. And it's not, she didn't say she's might be or she may be. She said she will be up again they are going to be the community will be up again she knows it there you go i love it mike my man good this is this has been amazing i i cannot wait to release this bad boy because oh my god you threw down some knowledge you threw down some only most truth (laughs) you know what i mean i don't know about that i don't know about that but uh we're gonna have to have you on again and thank you for doing this no 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 no. anytime i think as i said i think the work that you are doing and your team is doing is absolutely phenomenal i've learned so much from from listening to the podcast i you know it's it's great to hear you know it's great to hear perspectives and i just want to encourage all your listeners to just start asking those questions why Why? do you understand that's that's another good truth right there i'm gonna leave everybody with a something else that an elder told me right and this this kind of blew my mind if i could share this for one second right is that this elder told me and i've shared this before that she goes curlew how you measure progress and i say well you know if you were over here and you move over here and so she's like yeah it's kind of like like measuring distance right like you measure it in like inches or feet right Mm -hmm. and i said yeah to use an example you kind of measure it in sort of inches and feet and she says you know what i don't measure progress like that i measure it in degrees i'm like degrees like what do you mean degrees and she says you know what the first thing you have to do when you decide to change is you have to point your eyes in a different direction. So even though you may physically be in the same spot, your eyes are now pointed in a different direction. That's the first thing you have to do when you're changing course is your perspective, right? Yeah. I'm just like, when I heard that from her, I'm like, that made so much sense. Because sometimes we get frustrated because, man, it's not happening fast enough and boom, boom, boom. But sometimes we have to recognize by just by looking at a situation differently, just by appreciating another perspective, just by asking the right questions, seeing things through a different lens or from an alternate perspective, man, you're well on your way to change, even though you might physically be in the exact same spot. Wow, man. Truth bombs all over this bad boy. Listen, listen, <laughs> listen. That's not, listen, man, that's not me. That is not no, me. That know, is not me. That is an elder that told me that. You know what, though, dog? And that's how many you people, learn from. Yeah, but that's how many people learn? will hear, the, some people will hear these truths from whoever it might be, and it goes in one one year, not the other. Take, but you, you learn. You listen to people. Your patients, the people that you work with, communities, that's your teachers. It's not yeah. the person who's taught you how to interpret an ejection fraction. I'm not yeah. saying that's not valuable, right? But I'm just saying that, like, that's what gets you through life. Like, messages like that have helped me. When I learned from an elder that took a whole lot of wisdom and life experience and was passing that bit of wisdom, I'm like, that's... That's powerful. That's powerful because it means that, yo, man, if if I can just look at the situation differently, if I can, if I can, that, that's the first step of change. If I can alter my perspective, even though my position hasn't changed, if my perspective does, then that's progress, man. But you're doing a great job, man. Oh. You're doing a great job. You're doing, we chatted for too long. No, this is great. Thank this you. This is great. Thank, thanks, <laughs> thanks again so much for doing this, bud. No, no, no problem. No problem. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I know that's may have been an episode to listen to but i really appreciate you guys taking the time 
We want to thank our sponsors, BetterHelp, online counseling service that provides excellent care for those in need. Use promo code Solving Healthcare to get 10% off. Sign up fees. Also want to thank our sponsors, Audible.com. If you sign up today, you get a free month and also help support the show through Amazon Affiliate Marketing. And I also want to just thank you guys for supporting the, the show through merchandise purchases. We've We've been able to raise some money for Ottawa Inner City Health. I'll give the official numbers on social media. If you'd like the show, five-star rating, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. We're all over the place. Get involved. Thank you so much. Leave comments at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at, at, at Quadcast. Guys, thanks so much for listening, and we'll, we'll see you next week.